Hey y'all, my name is Bailey Bronner and you are listening to Ask a Pastor Anything, a space for questions, exploration, and curiosity. Each episode, I sit down with a new or old friend to discuss a question you all wanted to hear about. Welcome to Ask a Pastor Anything. Let's get into it. Hi friends, welcome to another episode of Ask a Pastor Anything. Today we have the wonderful Matthias Roberts with us to talk uh, about his book and just about himself in general. So welcome, Matthias. I'm so excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Me too. I was just telling Matthias that this is a full circle moment for me. Um, I was on his podcast, Queerology, like a year and a half or two years or so ago, and that was like my first public coming out experience. So it's wild and weird that you are now on this project that I'm creating. So, wow. (laughs) Me too. I mean, that was just such a good episode. um, The one that you were on. I mean, I remember it. I remember it well. So it feels like an honor to be here and to be friends, right? (laughs) Oh my gosh. Be real friends and not Mm -hmm. work acquaintances, you know? Right. Exactly. I love it. Well, Matthias, for people who don't know you, can you go ahead and introduce yourself, your name, your pronouns, and then whatever else you want to share about yourself? Totally, yeah. Uh, My name is Matthias, Matthias Roberts. I use he, him pronouns. Um, I'm a variety of things. I uh, am a therapist. Uh, I I work specifically with LGBTQ folks who grew up within religious backgrounds uh, and so do that uh, part-time because the rest of my time I spend with my podcast, Queerology, uh, which is a podcast that kind of sits at the intersections of uh, faith and queerness. Uh, and we have all kinds of conversations around that. Uh, and then I write and speak a lot around those same intersections, faith, LGBTQ issues, mental health, theology, all of those things. So um, my life is kind of a big mix of things all kind of centered in this this space of how do we live better as queer people of faith um those are things that i'm really interested in what do you do when you're not a therapist or podcast host what do you do for fun i drink a lot of coffee nice (laughs) that's that's uh i live in seattle and that's just something yeah coffee 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 um I love reading. Like, I'm a huge introvert. Uh, and so a lot of times when I'm not having to kind of be on in a way, like therapy is being on in its own way. Podcasting is being on in its own way. Like, I, I kind of retreat to the shadows of my apartment and, and try to try to recover uh, and recharge and spend time with, with close friends and, and people who um, can kind of speak into my life. Well. And your adorable dog? My puppy, Beatrice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Little Beady Rose. She's, I love her so much. <laughs> <laughs> She's an asshole, but I love her so much. So. <laughs> I love that. So good. Oh my gosh. Wow. All right. Well, I'm glad that you're here. I'm excited for people to get to meet you if they don't know you already or just hear you talk a little bit more if they already do. And uh, if you are ready, we'll get into the question for today. Yeah, let's do it. All right. 
So uh, if you're listening and you want to send in a question for a future episode, all the information to do that is down in the description below. But today's question uh, comes from somebody who wants to know, why don't we talk about sex in the church? So this is a big question, but I think that if there's anybody who can who can speak to this, it's Matthias. So uh, with that, Matthias, I want to invite you into the conversation and we'll see where it goes. How or why don't we talk about sex in the church? Yeah, totally. Bailey, can I um, can I turn that question around you first on you first and hear your thoughts? Uh, yes, if you would like to, you should. I would love that. I would that. love to hear your thoughts. Just throwing me off um, from the very beginning. We love that. <laughs> no, it's perfect. Then you can tell me everything that I'm like misinformed about when you when the expert perspective comes in. I feel like I feel oh like yeah, that's, that's totally the goal here, just to catch you. Like <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I guess I would think like I, I I think that as a pastor, I don't fit the traditional how do we why don't we talk about sex in the church because I'm very willing to do that and mm. um, as a queer person, especially it feels less of a big deal because my sex life or lack thereof is on display by nature of my sexuality, which mm-hmm. is an unfair thing to to put on people, but that's just how it is, right? When you say, um, when you say that I'm queer, the immediate thought for for a lot of people is, oh, well, like she has sex with people of the same gender or whatever the like the particularity of that is. But I I feel like in a lot of ways, that is something that I'm open to have that conversation um, mm. with my own congregation, with the people who uh, who are interested in, in doing that work. But I think that there's a lot, there are a lot of reasons why people don't talk about sex in the church. I think purity culture is a huge one. The idea that uh, we we have to save ourselves for a particular season in our life and for a particular partner of ours and have sex in this very specific way um, or not at all and, and all of these little things that we've been told. Uh, I also think it's a taboo topic in general in the world. And when uncomfortable things come into the church, they become even more uncomfortable and taboo, I think, because of how we handle them. Uh, so I think there's a lot of reasons why we don't talk about sex in the church from from my perspective as as a pastor and as a queer person and as somebody who's kind of like in between those two spaces. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I, I think so, too. I, I mean, so much of what you just said were, were just very similar to, to some of my thoughts on this. And. I mean, like, to be, like, fully honest, I think my first answer is, like, I'm not sure why we don't talk about sex in church. Um, I have a lot of theories. Uh, one of the big ones I wonder a lot about is um, is the sense of, like, maybe we just don't know how. Like, we, we've never had, at least I never had, a model of how to even have conversations about sexuality within church. So, I mean, you mentioned this sense of like being queer. Uh, and I think it was for me, like being queer is what taught me how to talk about sex. Uh, because that's, that's something that we always talk about. I mean, it, it kind of goes without saying that if, if we're having conversations about being queer, we're having conversations about, about sexuality, at least maybe not sex, but at least about sexuality, uh, which then begins to kind of open those doors to have bigger conversations 
Um, but it, but sex, at least in the world I grew up in, was such a taboo, off-limits thing. It was something that was done behind closed doors. Uh, it was something that uh, if we do talk about it, we talk about it in gendered groups where we split up and, and go behind closed doors and have, um, I mean, I never witnessed uh what happened behind the doors uh, with women, but at least in the men's groups, it was it was always about lust. So like sex was equated to a conversation about lust. And that was pretty much it. Like this idea of what could be healthy outside of don't lust. I mean, that was considered health. Um, there was no model. And so that feels like a really big one to me is we just don't know how or I wasn't at least taught how to even have a conversation about sex that went anywhere beyond like these moralistic prescriptions something that kind of terrifies me as you were talking is the idea that like if I was to if I was not as a child as somebody growing up in the church system if I was to be obedient to follow the guidelines that were set out to me about things that we talk about and we don't talk about, me as a fully formed adult would have no idea what I was doing, like mm-hmm. in terms of sex, but also just in terms of like how to live a life as a human being, because the the small, compact, like echo chamber of ideas that happen in the church are very isolated and, and in, in a lot of ways there's there's a lack of relevancy, I think, when we compare the church and the world, if we separate those two uh, before that. And so, like, what an experience to be, to grow up in this church and feel like you have this, like, this, like, really strong grounding on, on life and of, on relationships and what godly marriage looks like. And then you step out into the world at some point and, and you're, like, lost, right? I right. feel, I feel feel like that is just it's just astounding to think about that that could that could have been like how my perspective on life ended up being you know mm-hmm. yeah and, and and i think another i wonder if another reason i mean even to that kind of point um is is this idea of shame uh and and sexual shame like i mean i I just recently published a book called Beyond Shame, Creating a Healthy Sex Life on Your Own Terms. And and in that, really exploring how do we work with sexual shame, but taking a step back even, and and I there, there are kind of two premises I start with in that book that I don't, I mean, I talk about it a little bit in the book, but but are so much bigger than just that book, is is this this intersection of, I believe sexuality exists at the very core places of who we are. Uh, is, a, is a core part of our identities. So um, w- w- whether that be whether we identify as even having a sexuality or not, right? Um, these these are identity-construing places. Um, and, and so th- that's a huge starting place for me. But the thing is, is I think because of that, shame impacts us at the very core of who we are too. Um, and so when those things start being kind of combined, uh, when we have conversations about sex, these, these things that, that so deeply define who we are, and then get all these messages from, from shame or society or culture um, that 
who we are as sexual beings is bad, um, one of the key things that shame makes us do is turn away. Um, we don't want to talk about things that make us feel like we are bad people. Um, and so we hide. And so we don't bring those things up. Um, and, and I think kind of through, I mean, when we look at the history of the United States, um, it, the United States, at least as we know it currently, <laughs> the colonizers who came over to the United States were Puritans uh, and who thrived, who kind of had this theology of shame, of remaining, quote unquote, pure. I mean, that's the world that, that this country was um, founded on, these, these, this bedrock of um, a shaming system. And so if that's what we've been raised in, if that's what we're kind of mired in as a culture, um, of course we're not going to have these conversations because they touch on these really core parts of ourselves and these really core questions of what if there's something really deeply wrong with me? So shame, like sexual shame then, in, in terms of having shame about our own sexualities, uh, that feels almost like the... Um, like the the piece that's like in the forefront like the the sort of shining example of just shame around our identity in general but because the church has such specific things to say about sex and sexuality maybe that's the one that's a little bit more um like prominent even though there are like varying parts of our identity you know like body image or um gender all of these different things that that we do feel shame about, but, but what I, I guess what I understand, like you saying is that sexual shame is, is even, is, is so complex when we talk about like religious systems because, because of how it's dealt with. Yeah, I think so because of both because of how it's dealt with and how uh, deeply intertwined it is within our own selves um, because it, because it's not just, like we're not just talking about something theoretical when, when we talk about sexuality. Um, I'd say most, if not all of us, at least have experiences with sexual orientation or no having no sexual orientation, which in itself is, a, is an experience with sexuality or, or this kind of normative idea of, of what should be, right? So, so there's opportunities for shame to, to jump in no matter where we are on that spectrum and say, something is wrong with me. Um, the church is really good at saying, something is wrong with you. <laughs> and then identifying with those at, at very, 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 very core places. Uh, and, and so then the message is, you know, someone says, something is wrong with you. Then we start believing, well, then we start agreeing with that. Something is wrong with me, yes. And then, therefore, I'm not going to talk about it. I don't want anyone to find out what is actually going on here behind the surface. What if people find out? Um, if they find out, will I be discarded? Will I be cast out? Um, it, it gets really complex <laughs> incredibly quickly. Yeah, which, I mean, begs the question of authenticity and, and the role of you know, our, our doubts and our questions and, um, the role of, of like the power, I guess, of not knowing the answers all the time and of not being perfect. I think there's a, there's a tendency and 
I, I would say that pastors are very guilty of this as well, of putting on this like perfect face, being like the perfect uh, Christian or uh, knowing all the answers and all of these things. And that's just not the reality. And when we do that too much, from my perspective, we sort of ostracize the people who are, well, we, we sort of just like shove people further and further back. I, I use in the closet, I guess, is, as the word, but just back into this place of hiding where they don't uh, feel, where they feel like they're the only one who has this thing that they can't, um, they can't reconcile or they can't uh, deal with themselves or whatever. Um, and that's, that's scary. And mm. it, to me, it speaks to the, the responsibility of church leaders, especially to model this behavior and to, to say, you know, well, I, I'm especially inspired. Um, today is the, the anniversary of Rachel Held Evans, um, death as we're recording this. And I'm just inspired constantly by her, um, her invitation for us to doubt and to ask questions and say that that is a holy thing. And so as a pastor, to me, it speaks so strongly to that, right? Like the, when we allow ourselves to ask questions, when we tell a group of people that we are, um, that we are pastoring, that we don't know, or that we, we have questions or that we're not sure about this story, if this happened, how it happened, or I need this sermon more than you all need this sermon. Those kinds of things are so liberating because it allows for those experiences that you were talking about, Matthias, where where people hide parts of who they are because they feel like it's not acceptable or they feel shame around it. It allows sort of an opening of of the of the playing field to say, no, actually, you can bring your stuff to this table. Like that's what it's here for, and I'm going to show you that first, so that hopefully you all will feel comfortable to follow along with that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think at its core, and Brene Brown talks about this a lot, at its core, one of the things that shame is, is a fear of disconnection. And if we, if we take that to be true, uh, then one of the antidotes to shame is connection. Um, and so with what you're talking about, Bailey, like that that sense of inviting people into a process or that admitting of, I don't know, I'm on a journey here, or I'm trying to figure this out, um, that opens the door for connection. Uh, it opens the door for people to come alongside each other and say, we're in this together, we're figuring this out together. Um, whereas, uh, kind of the opposite of that, of, of either kind of going on a private journey and then coming out on the other side saying, I have all the answers or I figured this out. Um, even if it's just like kind of a subtle thing of where we haven't let people into those journeys, um, that can feel like a really disconnecting thing because we see someone who's so far different from where we are and say, I'll never get there. Um, therefore, what am I doing? <laughs> there must be something wrong with me. That's shame. Um, it, and you mentioned Rachel and like she did, I mean, that was one of the things that she was best at was inviting people into just her process, being willing to be wrong. Um, she modeled that for us on, on kind of a, a, on a really big stage, which is, which is something that uh, not many people have the courage to be able to do. I, I would be curious to know, why 
this work is um, important to you. How, I guess, has maybe shame touched your life or, or has this conversation uh, been coming to the surface so much that you you wrote a book about it, right? Um, why Why is this important to you? Yeah. So, I mean, this book and this conversation is is something that's so intensely personal to me. Um, I think this this book was born out of my own curiosity um, and my own desire to work with my sexual shame because I, I knew I had and slash still do have a lot of it um, because I, you know, I, I was raised with impurity culture, this idea that sexuality is bad and dirty and wrong unless it's done within a very specific context. And in the wake of that, I started realizing like, well, with with my own particular sexuality, it will never be within that particular context of that they're telling me that it can be beautiful as long as it's within a heterosexual marriage. Uh, and so this idea of my sexuality will never be beautiful. Therefore, there is something so deeply wrong with me. Uh, and and as I learned to start working with that, like I, I feel like you know, years ago, I set out on this journey to try to figure out, like, when Jesus talks about abundant life, when Jesus talks about flourishing, um, I was being told that that was something for me to be in the future, like in the afterlife. So not even life on earth. Because of this quote unquote struggle I had, um, abundant life, flourishing, what felt like flourishing to me, I wouldn't be able to reach that until heaven. Uh, and that meant I had to suffer here on earth. And that didn't kind of add up to me. There was something that seemed really off about that. Um, so it started as this kind of quest for what does flourishing look like and can flourishing uh, happen on this earth? Is that something that, that we're invited into currently, now, um, instead of being something that is reserved for us in this this mythical afterlife Um and that's not to say that I don't believe in an afterlife, but but this kind of this mythical glory of of heaven and, and flourishing, but it means that we have to, you know, buckle down and and just slog through life here on earth. Like that doesn't seem to me like what Jesus is talking about. Um so and I and I think one of the things <laughs> that prevents us from living into flourishing from that prevents us from living into this abundant life that Jesus talks about is shame and like I was saying earlier because sexuality and shame exist at such core places of ourselves and then for me personally realizing that I was gay the locus of that work for me has been around sexual shame uh, when we work with shame in one parts of our one part of our life we work with it in all parts of our life um, that was kind of a rambly answer, but that's, that's really where I sit with it and, and continue to kind of try to journey through. Yeah. I, I think reading your book, I can, it, it's easy to tell how deeply personal this work is, both, you know, the stories and things like that, but just how, how passionate you are about talking about shame and, and sexuality and that, that intersection. Um, it just, I don't know. It, it, it makes me, I, I think finishing it, it made me understand why it mattered in a way that I didn't mm -hmm. necessarily go into it before, right? Like I read the book because 
I love you and I want to support that work and, you know, anything talking about spirituality and queerness and all that is right up my alley. But I did end up at the end of the day asking myself some pretty hard questions about my own um, ethos of of shame, of sexuality, of um, a healthy sex life. And, mm-hmm. and those evaluations have shifted have shifted how I go about uh, relationships and connections in general. And so I'm, I'm just like very thankful that you have taken this thing that's very personal to you and, and made it accessible to, to more of us. Uh, Mm -hmm. It's beautiful. And if you haven't bought Mm -hmm. it already, go ahead and buy it. Yes, please. (laughs) I'm I'm not shameless about it. Like, (laughs) No, sell it. It's great. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I love how you talk about or how you said at the very beginning, you're like, I don't know why we don't talk about sex in the church, right? I don't it doesn't make sense. Um, And it if the church is supposed to be this place where uh, we can bring our whole selves to the table and we can share who we are and we can be a part of each other's lives where we can experience communion, connection, uh, community all of those things, then why are we not talking about this thing that is fundamental to fundamental to life in some in some ways is mm-hmm. is um, this thing that we, you know, desire in in some people's experiences is uh, central to marriage sometimes like it, it just embodies or it, it encompasses so many different areas of our life. And um, and why not have this conversation in the church? So I, I would be curious to ask you, like how, if I was, if I was a pastor, I am a pastor, mm-hmm. how, if I wanted to in, like start to have this conversation in the church, if I wanted to, if I said, you know, after hearing you talk about this, this is, this is important and I should be, um, going about this. What would you suggest as like a starting point for that? Yeah. You know, I think, like this is such a hot button conversation <laughs> and especially in church context, people have so many different opinions about it. And so, I mean, and I wonder if that's some of the reason why we don't talk about it too, is because it just is such a um, kind of high stakes issue, right? Churches split over these things. Uh, so with, so with that being a reality um, for me, I found in my, in my, just in my experience that often a really good starting place for these conversations is inviting people into a space of reflection on our own sexual shame. Uh, because, you know, so, so instead of kind of starting this, this conversation of here's what a healthy sexuality is, or even kind of trying to debate what, what is healthy sexuality? What are the rules about sexuality? Um, what does the Bible teach? Blah, blah, blah. All those things. Um, sexual shame is something that um, most, if not all of us, have experiences with. We know what it feels like to be shamed in some way for a sexuality that that goes across the board, uh, whether we're queer, whether we're straight, whether we're asexual, um, or on any of the spectrum between that. We know those feelings. So a starting point is starting to look at what that shame is the shared humanity in that uh, and and then kind of walking through like, what's the shape of our sexual shame? Um, 
it's vulnerable work. It's hard work. Uh, it's work that needs to be done in, in places where there's a level of safety um, because we can't talk about some of these things without a context of at least some felt safety. Uh, in my mind, what better places to do that than with um, our communities of faith um, as, as we kind of strive towards uh, what, what we're called into as being people of faith. Um, so starting, starting with what's the shape that our sexual shame takes, because uh, then we, we start getting on common ground and that can open up a level of, of conversation uh, for next steps. I don't, what do you think about that? I mean, you're you're a pastor. I'm not a pastor, <laughs> so I feel like you're pastoral. Do you not? Do you think no? No, I I agree with that. Uh, you're not the first person that said that to me. I'm learning. <laughs> I'm learning to agree with that. <laughs> uh, but I think that I don't know. It, it's so easy to to look at this conversation, and even someone who doesn't feel like I fully fit into the the role that I play and because of tradition, because of what people expect, I still feel like I'm, I'm kind of sucked in, in a lot of ways. And I put, um, I put limitations on the systems that I exist in, in the church, because it's easy to do that. And it's, it's the default is to say, Oh no, we can't do this. We've never done it this way. And even after resisting that and resisting that, it's still easy to go back to, oh, well, it's just too difficult to like start that, right? Because we are at ground zero. And how do we build from that, um, from that place where there, it's not even where we avoid talking about it. It's not even like we, we initiate conversation on it. But I, I guess I would wonder, like, have you seen it done well anywhere? Mm. Have you seen faith communities do this work in an important way? The, I mean, the answer is yes. Uh, and that, I mean, that's so interesting, though, because like because that answer is birthed out of just a feeling and like there's no like very specific examples coming to mind because uh, I, I, I feel like so. I mean, so much of my work is, is kind of on this. more theoretical kind of higher level like I don't it, it's rare for me to get like down into the communities who are actually doing this work on the ground other than like me helping folks journey through that like as a therapist right um, but but that's not within like a church context um, I think there are people who are doing it well uh, but it, it speaks to the willingness of church leaders to be able to do that. I, one example that's coming to mind is the church that I currently go to. Uh, it's, it's a church here in Seattle and, and our pastor, uh, Pastor Gail, she has been just so open and has said things on stage. Uh, I, I had my book launch event there and, and, and Gail was up on stage with me. And, and I mean, she was standing on that stage talking about her sex life. Um, and like, I was standing there too, being like, I don't know that I've ever heard a pastor talk about their sex life in this kind of way from a church stage. Um, she was modeling what it would look like to have that kind of a conversation. And I just think we need more of that. Um, more permission in a way to even have those conversations. The only things I can think of 
which I think are still important in a little bit, um, not as, I guess, not as direct, but like divorce support groups or things like that that happen in the church are, are ways that I have seen goodness come out of that conversation. Um, but even things like that are so, they're just, there's so much stigma, I think, attached to, attached to sex for reasons that, I mean, reasons that we've talked about a little bit. I don't know. I think it's hard to initiate that conversation. And also there's no excuse why we can't. So mm. you laying out, you know, what it's really about, it's about connection. It's about relationship. It's about, um, authenticity. Like all of those things are, are super helpful for me as a pastor to say, how can I, you know, how can I wade in this water? How can I start to start to go in in a way that's not uh, like a, like a shocking, um, dive into the water necessarily, but, in ways that people can see the importance of it and can still see how it relates to the things that we're already doing as a faith community, how it relates to community, how it relates to um, God's love for us and, and God's love for humanity, all of those things uh, put together. So I, I think that's really helpful. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, as, as you're talking, like the word normalization came to mind in, in some ways is, is just a, even a level, just kind of normalizing of like, these are things we talk about here uh, yeah. and, and modeling that for a community um, yeah. can, can do big things. It can also do very risky things. Like mm -hmm. <laughs> it's, there's a huge risk to that within, I mean, obviously we're both sitting in, uh, fairly progressive spaces uh i mean i have seen churches fall apart uh when pastors have had have tried to do this so uh the, the, there needs to be a level of of just consideration <laughs> of, of even what a community is like because uh, of course that would warrant different approaches so. right the same questions of you know is it it's same questions of like when we come out right is it a safe space to do this do i have support from people like those are all questions we probably should be asking here too because we're not I don't know I don't think that if if you're going to lose your job over addressing this in a specific in a you know a hard-hitting way maybe tone it down a little bit and wait but even like very small things right like are so I I hear I don't know like there are different there are different examples that are coming to mind of of pastors who I've had or who I've interacted with that have either avoided talking about uh, sexuality or relationships even altogether or doing it in ways that are very uh, steeped in that purity culture and shame. I don't know. There's just so much room for that. And there's so much room for connection and for, um, for doing that work in small ways that don't feel intimidating and like they're going to cost you a job or, or uh, relationships within your congregation, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and the big, the big question that comes to mind for me and that is then, is then what does it look like for us to invite the communities that we're in, into this conversation in a way that can be received? And that's an invitation into relationship. Um, what does invitation look like? And that will look very, very, very different depending on what kind of community you're in. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And it, I think it requires relationship in order to make that decision in a, in a wise way too. Uh, maybe a question for you then, as we start to wrap up, how, 
if if you were to give one one nugget of wisdom to people who are listening to this and thinking, oh, maybe this is important. Uh, maybe I should, uh, after I read your book, maybe I should uh, start to do this work. And what what's one nugget of wisdom that you would give? Yeah. I, I mean, I, I think a huge one is uh, working with ourselves. What does it look like to work with ourselves to um, one, identify our own shame, but two, then learn to be comfortable with our own sexuality. Uh, I, I wouldn't say that's necessarily a prerequisite for these conversations because I don't buy into this idea that we have to have it all figured out before we can do this work. And um, I think learning to work with ourselves as we step into these conversations is a huge thing for um, being able to have these conversations well. Uh, conversations about sexuality bring up so much. Uh, so the more we can work with ourselves in the midst of that, um, the better we're able to invite other people in into these conversations. Uh, so get familiar with yourself and your shame and your trigger points, uh, the, the, the things that uh, come up when you step into these conversations because uh, then we're, then we're better to have these conversations as a community if that makes sense absolutely makes so much sense matthias i have a question that i want to end with that i have asked everybody um since the podcast is called ask a pastor anything if you could ask a pastor anything what would you ask totally i i was thinking about this because you warned me thankfully um <laughs> I, you know, something that I often think about and wonder about um, and would love to talk to pastors about this is, is like, what, what role does shame have in shaping our theology? Um, I, and I'll, I'll tell you kind of why I ask that. Like, I mean, in my mind, there's a sense of like so much of the theology that I was taught growing up feels to be rooted in deep shame. So not so much the message of Jesus, not so much the message of the Bible, but just shame. And so, and so I'd be curious about that. And I know that's a huge question, um, but but what role does, does shame play in shaping our theology? Wow. Yeah, that's a great question. I just want to go into it more with you right now, but that's not how it works. We already had our time. So we'll have to wait for the next one. <laughs> Well, thank you so much, Matthias, for, for being here and for sharing uh, about your work and about what you're passionate about. Uh, it's it's important work, and I, I don't think I can say that enough, how meaningful and timely this is. So, so thank you for that. And can you let people know uh, where to find you, how to connect with your work? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I am at Matthias Roberts. That's Matthias with two T's across the internet. Uh, you can pick up a copy of my book, Beyond Shame, Creating a Healthy Sex Life on Your Own Terms, uh, wherever you buy books. Uh, it's a really kind of compact guide on how to do a lot of the work that I've been talking about in this episode. Uh, so if you're looking for a place to start, it's a great, I think it's a great place to start. Um, and then you can find my podcast, Queerology, uh, wherever you listen to podcasts. Amazing. Well, thank you again. And I'm I'm grateful for you, for your work, and for just you as a friend as well. So thanks so much. Mm, thanks, Bailey. I'm just grateful for the work you're doing in the world. It's really important.
Thank you. All right. I'm done before I cry. Awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks so much for listening, friends. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can leave a review or financially support through my Patreon. If you have a question you'd like to see in a future episode, you can send a voice memo or send a DM to askapastoranything on Instagram. You can also connect with me directly at Bailey N. Bronner on Twitter and Instagram. See you next episode, friends. You are so loved.